<laughs> and the CEO, according to the story, he slammed his hand right down on the desk and he said, Baptists, Baptists, I know nothing about Baptists, but I know that I wish the whole regiment were Baptists because their names are never in the defaulter's role and you never find them in the jailhouse. And I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. So all my Baptist friends, there you are. Money. Conversations with Bob McAvoy on the Semper Reformata podcast. So with me today in the studio pod at Ballygown is Paul Somerville. Paul is the local representative of the Soldiers and Airmen's Scripture Readers Association, or as we would better know it as SASRA. So Paul, you're very welcome. Indeed, uh, Bob, it's good to be with you and I must admit I'm looking forward to our, our time together, to our fellowship and to our to our chat. Good, and why not? Uh, but before we begin, tell me a wee bit about yourself. Um, I know that we met a few years ago when you came down to Ballymacashan for a deputation meeting. Who is the real Paul Somerville? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, my wife is here. She'll probably give you a different picture that what I'm sure that's paint. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, Paul Somerville, yep. Um, to be honest with you, I am uh, a product of East Belfast, born in, uh, and bred that wonderful part of uh, the world where it's home to the shipyard, the Oval, C.S. Lewis, and a multitude of interesting and probably so, not what, so what, interesting just, things. Just what, you're not a Glen Torren supporter, are you? I am indeed, actually, okay, yes. Okay, let's move quickly on. <laughs> and you went to school in that area, obviously, too. I did indeed. Um, for me, education was uh, around East Belfast. I uh, went to secondary school in East Belfast as 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 well. So, so tell me this, Paul, how did you come to be involved with SASRA? And tell me a wee bit about your role in that organisation. Well, Bob, when I was 17, um, I left wonderful East Belfast and actually joined the, the British Army. And it wasn't until three years into my army career in Germany that I uh, came to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, by his grace, uh, saved me. And Strange enough, an army padre very shortly afterwards came looking for me oh, and he invited me into his office. We sat down and we chatted and he told me about this organisation called SASRA and that if I was looking for fellowship, which I was, then he would put me in contact with what is known as an army scripture reader who was in an army camp in Norway uh, over there in West Germany at the time. And so uh, for most Sundays, I would be collected and driven that hour's journey down to another army camp and I would meet with other soldiers of like uh, and it was fantastic. I mean, I always thought I was the only Christian in my army camp. And, but yet going to another army camp and meeting with six or seven other uh, like-minded soldiers and, of course, being guided by the army scripture, Bob Hodgson, who it was back in the day. So that was my first taste of, of Sazer as a serving soldier. And it was tremendous because in Germany way back in the 1980s, uh, Sazer were constantly having... Uh, meetings, constantly having get-togethers. And I can remember Easter 
1989 in, in a German Christian conference centre called Haas Stapelager in Bielefeld Salzer had an Easter convention and just to go and to mingle with Christians from all ranks from brigadiers right down to me we private soldier it was really really encouraging so that that was my taste of Salzra uh, who supported me during my Christian military service and years later when I left the army I came home to Northern Ireland and I bumped into the Northern Ireland area representative at the time called Jim Moore and Jim took me under his wing he took me around different churches your own church of course uh, where I was able to share my testimony and that really cut my teeth for for public speaking I suppose but more importantly Jim actually challenged me about becoming a a part-time scripture reader I prayed about it made application and then the the cut long story short I became a part-time scripture reader initially with the RAF up there in as it was then known as RAF Aldergrove. I spent several years over there in Hollywood and then came all the way back to um, Aldergrove where I am uh, today. Uh-huh. Are you allowed to tell me, Paul, what regiment you served in? Well, initially I joined the Royal Corps of Signals, uh, the world of communications, so uh, that was good. Um, got a trade out of it, I suppose. Um, I really enjoyed that life. Uh, best of both worlds, uh, working with telecommunications, working with generators, driving as well, and also doing all the green kit, all the military stuff as, as well. And then when I came home, as I say, I just got back into uh, supporting Sazra uh, prayerfully, attending the, 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 the meetings and, and things like that, and then going back into that environment that I knew so well, but this time as a, as a part-time scripture reader. So you're still as a part-time scripture reader? Or no, Jim retired. That? Yeah, Jim retired in 2004. And and by the grace of God, he, he, the Lord brought me in to take over from Jim, which which I did. And then as years moved on, um, I became a full-time scripture reader. Sure. So I was wearing two hats at the time, very representative, part-time scripture reader. And then I became full-time. What about Sasra? What are the specific aims of the organisation? And how do they actually go about um, achieving those aims? Well, Bob, as you know, as I'm sure the listeners um, know as well, that, that great commission as recorded for us in, in Matthew 28 where um, we're told to go into all the world and, uh, and, and to preach the gospel. And so that great commission, it, it gives us a duty to share the word of God with, with all. And that includes those in um, the service of of their of the British Armed Forces, and and so we have taken that literally, and we have been given the unique opportunity uh, to go behind the wire as such, mm-hmm. and to take the gospel, this life changing gospel, to to the men and women of Her Majesty's forces. We, as an organisation, we are primarily there with the army and the Royal Air Force, and the people of NASA. Well, what about the Royal Navy? Uh, my response is well. What about them? <laughs> for, for our well, charter, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to go onto a ship, isn't it? Well, well, absolutely, and they are the senior service. But just encourage those people out there who may be wondering why not the Royal Navy. The Royal Navy have their own evangelists. Um, I'm led to believe it's called RSR, Royal Sailors Rest. They okay. work in something like, like an environment like Sandy's. If you're if you're yeah. if you're familiar with Sands within the confines of a cafeteria, I think that's repeated within the Royal Navy. But our responsibility is with the army and the Royal Air Force. And we have scripture readers deployed in most army bases across the UK. And even right here in Northern Ireland, we have two years, myself 
uh, covering a couple of camps and then my good friend Scott likewise he's covering Hollywood camp and actually although we've got a, a bigger footprint within the army um, we are looking to deploy more evangelists within the RAF actually we have one guy at the minute who is supporting the RAF chaplaincy at RAF Bryce Norton and that's the largest that's the biggest RAF station in the UK there's over 6,000 personnel running around that camp so you can probably uh, see that one scripture one team of chaplains are only really scraping uh, the the service So you're going in and out of the camps here in Northern Ireland so how do you relate to the official padres within those camps. Do you have a relationship with them? You work with them, alongside them? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I often say that we our entrance in the camp isn't by right, but by invitation. Um, we're not employed by the MOD. We're not uh, supported financially from a public purse. We are a, a faith mission. So um, our, we, we're basically a faith mission uh, in our own right. We, we're solely funded by the free will offerings of, of God's people. Mm-hmm. However, um, we've been given this unique opportunity to go in. Uh, we've been given security clearance. We've been given authority to, to go in. Uh, and that is under the umbrella of the Royal Army Chaplaincy Department. So um, we're so thankful that they are so supportive and that support has been ongoing since our organisation was birthed back in 1838, so over 184 years ago, I'm, I'm led to believe. And for myself, I have to admit, and I'm saying this publicly, I've never had a bad padre. I've always yeah. had chaplains who are, who are supportive, yeah. su- supportive of, my, of, of myself. And we come from different denominations, uh, we have probably different theological viewpoints, but at the end of the day, we're there for the men, and it's great that the chaplains support us, because we as scripture readers, we're always endeavouring to support them, and we do, we support them in their church services, uh, they support us with, with what we do, uh, and of course, it's a teamwork, we're yeah. there uh, to, to serve Working Almighty together. God. Absolutely. Let me ask you a theological question. For the interest of those who'll be listening who are more theologically inclined, can a Christian be a soldier? Now, here's the reason I'm asking this. Throughout the history of Christianity, there have been denominations and churches and individuals who have believed in pacifism. So the question I'm asking is, can a Christian be a soldier? And basically, is there a Christian vocation of soldiering, carrying arms for your country? It's a question that has been raised down through the years. It can't be in my my work uh, without that being um, sort of presented to you. I do believe wholeheartedly that a soldier can be a Christian and a Christian can be a soldier and that the profession of arms in Christianity is very much compatible one with, with the other. But uh, before we go down the theological road... Um, I don't know if you've been to London lately. Uh, I haven't been there for a long time. Well, no doubt you've you've walked through or stood at uh, the, the bottom of Nelson's Column in Trafalgar mm-hmm. Square. Well, the next time you're there, and if our listeners listen in, next time you're visiting London, go to Trafalgar Square, look at Nelson's Common, Column, and off to the right you'll, you'll see a statue amongst many other statues. And this statue is dedicated to Major General Sir Henry Havelock of Lucknow. Now, people listening to this are probably going, who nerfs that? <laughs> Never heard of him. Neither have I. But way back in the 19th century, Century, but uh, in Victorian Britain, he was a universally admired as both a soldier 
and a Christian. And if you look at his statue, the wee inscription at the bottom, it says, every inch a soldier and every inch a Christian. And is it possible for a soldier to have that reputation of being a firm standing Christian? Well, here's a wee story for you. I don't want to take up too much of your time. All right, keep going. But when (laughs) Sir Henry was a young lieutenant just recently converted, he was out in India and in his company, in his platoon, he had several men who were Christians. And so whilst he looked after the welfare of all his men, he really catered for the spirituality of those Christian men. However, of course, as you know, once you, you've got a passion for Christ and once you've got a passion for the gospel, the old enemy raises his head. And a fellow officer had made some false accusations against one of um, uh, Henry's little uh, Christian soldiers, which was totally false. And, of course, once the charges had been dropped against this young man, the accuser went in to see the commanding officer, pretty annoyed that nothing was going to happen uh, to to um, Henry's Christian servicemen. And he said to the CEO, but sir, they, 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 these Christians, they're, they're Baptists anyway. <laughs> and the CEO, according to the story, he slammed his hand right down on the desk and he said, Baptists, Baptists, I know nothing about Baptists. But I know that I wish the whole regiment were Baptists because their names are never in the defaulter's role and you never find them in the jailhouse. And I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. So all my Baptist friends, I there you are. Testimony. And if you want to know more about Major General Sir Henry Havelock, well, John Pollock has written his story and it's entitled way to glory. Okay. So again, that, that's just one example of a man who went through his army career as as a Christian and as a soldier. But, you know, looking at it from a theological point of view, uh, when you open up the scriptures, uh, you find in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament that there's a constant mention of soldiers uh, about their calling, about their profession. And no indication is given that it is dishonourable or uh, an unlawful uh, profession. And, of course, uh, what springs to my mind, I suppose, is those soldiers who came to John the Baptist and, and they came for instruction. And what did John say to them? Well, rob no one by violence or create false accusation and to be content with your wages. So there's no hint even in that mm-hmm. that their calling was dishonourable or or to be for forsaken. And Bob, as, as you know, in the New Testament, uh, we have at least four centurions who, who yeah. uh, are, are uh, commented on the New Testament. That there's a centurion who served, whose servant the Lord had healed. You have the centurion who uh, crucified the Lord Jesus Christ uh, on that day. You have the, the centurion called Cornelius, in whose house the first Gentile church was formed. And then you even have Julius, the centurion who escorted the apostle Paul to Rome. So again, we have a continuous story of soldiering being mentioned in the scriptures. Of course, we could spend time about the Old Testament. We could talk about Abraham, Joshua, Gideon, David, so on and so forth. But we don't find them being criticized in, in regards to their, 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 their soldiers. In fact, when you go into the book of Hebrews, we find that these same people they've just mentioned, uh, these were men of faith who became mighty in war and put foreign armies to, to flight. So, so we, again, just to go down from a theological point of view, we have it constantly and continually mentioned about the profession of arms. And here's another one for you, Bob. In the New Testament, we find that the Christian life 
is compared with many lawful and honourable professions. We think of the farmer, we think of the athlete, we think of the good uh, workman, etc. And no one ever questions about, don't you be a farmer? A Christian can't be a farmer. However, we don't see any negative comparisons in regards to soldiering. If not, we see a positive uh, comparison as well. When Paul read into young Timothy, he talked about uh, being uh, a good soldier yeah. of, of, of the Lord uh, uh, Jesus Christ. So if being a soldier is dishonourable, surely we wouldn't have these comparisons. Yeah. And, and Christians are part of God's army. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and we sing onward Christian soldiers Absolutely. frequently. Well, Absolutely. just to move on a wee bit and to talk about personal history here in Northern Ireland and bring it home, I've been a supporter of Sassara for quite a long time. When I went to my first church as a pastor back in 1986, One of our elders, Jimmy Harrison, was an old soldier. Jimmy at that time, I think, would probably have been in his late 70s. And he'd had very long associations with Sassara. And he invited Jim Legg, the Army Scripture Reader, to visit the church every year. And Jim, as you know, retired. He was succeeded by Jim Muir, who, like me, was a congregational minister, still is. And then when you were appointed, I was keen to continue the support for Sassara, but Sassara goes back much further than that, doesn't it? I mean, I remember hearing stories about how Sassara supported our troops right throughout the wars, the Second World War at least. Oh, that would have uh, been the case, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about the Second World War. Um, uh, we can go back further than that. We had scriptures working during the Boer War. Um, I mean, time doesn't allow us to, to, to dive into Sazer's history, but as I say, we were brought about in 1838, but we actually go back a little bit further than that, to 1816. My goodness. Uh, and where there was a, a sergeant, and he happened to be an Irishman. There's always a, an Irishman in every good uh, story. But this Irish sergeant, he was a Methodist man. Um, he loved the Lord. He was stationed in Woolwich, and he had his desire uh, to share the gospel with the troops around him in the Woolwich garrison. And so he and another Christian officer, Captain Maitland, what they did was they put Bibles in a certain guardroom. But unfortunately, again, I've already mentioned about once you raise your head above the parapet and you have a passion for lost souls, the old enemy comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, the old enemy uh, did show his hand through the commanding officer who reprimanded both Sergeant Rudd and Captain Maitland. This is 1816 uh, or, or around about those times uh, because they never asked permission. Can you believe that for putting Bibles in, uh, in this garden? So they reprimanded, however, unknown to the, the commanding officer, Captain Maitland's father, who was a civilian, held... Um, a high office in the what was then known as the War Office. And when he heard what had happened, and he was a Christian too, he, at public expense, sent a cartload of Bibles to visit every guardroom in the in the uh, Woolwich garrison with the instructions that the Bibles were to be placed in and not to be taken away. So we can trace our roots even back to then. Yeah, yeah. And so... We fast forward 1838, we were given official recognition. The then Chaplain General, the Reverend uh, Clegg, or Craig, I think his name was, um, sort of gave us a stamp of approval, and that continued on. Uh, and so we did accompany our, our, our troops, our soldiers, wherever they were deployed. Uh, we had script readers in Aden, uh, we had uh, script readers working out of Korea. Uh, again, World War One. 
World War II. Um, an interesting story about World War II, which I read recently, was that uh, during D-Day, once the first wave of troops went in and started to secure uh, the, the the land in and around the area, and then the second wave, I think about the third wave or fourth wave of soldiers arriving on the beach where it was pretty quiet, included chaplains and script readers who established uh, little restrooms for the soldiers when they were sent back for a bit of rest and recuperation. Yeah. So again, that's another insight in regards to World War II. And actually, we had a script reader uh, who accompanied the troops in and around um, Israel at the time and Palestine and even going to Baghdad during those uh, troubled times as, as, as well. So yes, we, we have, wherever the British boots on the ground have been, we've always had script readers. However, in the 1960s, a terrible word uh, came into our vocabulary called insurance. Oh. Uh, and that put in to us traveling around. Now, in, in the sense that um, we have scripture here in Northern Ireland during the troubles and things like that. But again, unfortunately, we haven't been to Afghanistan. We haven't been to Iraq. But here's the thing. We are able to meet with the troops before they're deployed. Yeah, and whilst they are deployed, we can write to them. We, we can encourage them. And then when they come back, we can continue on with the fellowship yeah. there. Do follow up with them. Yeah. Well, what's happening with Sasra right now here in Northern Ireland where we live? What's happening among the local officers and men in our armed forces? Are there any encouraging stories or incidents that you can tell me about? Yeah, I can if you've got a, a day or two. <laughs> uh, the Lord really has been good. As I say, we have this unique opportunity of, of going in where I suppose the church can't go. Actually, someone described Sazra as the church's gift to Her Majesty's forces because yeah. we can go where the, the local minister and the local Christian population can't go. So I, I, I myself, what can I share with you just to encourage the, the, the listeners? I had the opportunity quite recently of talking to a very senior officer. Now, when a senior officer moves around camp, he brings his entourage with him. So I'm communicating and talking to this uh, senior officer. We're talking away. And he then moved on. And then I noticed that uh, one of his entourage uh, came back uh, and this lady who happened to be a sergeant major said to me I couldn't help but overhear what you were saying uh, to the boss um, but could you tell me uh, what is a Christian how do you become a Christian and so she'd been eerie wagon um, again she asked a question I, wouldn't it be wonderful that if that question happened all the time yeah. doesn't really happen like that so I began to answer by saying well look being a Christian is about having a personal relationship not with a, a system not with a church but with a person and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the thing that separates us from having a personal relationship is our sin and that's why Jesus came and, and so she admitted that here's a lady in her 30s a sergeant major done pretty well in her army career and yet I've never heard the gospel in, in that in that way before. Oh, she'd been through many church services, mm-hmm. but she'd never heard the gospel in, in that way. So I suppose the moral of the story is you never know who's listening. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, uh, and you don't know who the Lord leads. Uh, absolutely. To your sphere of service. Yeah. Uh, who, who the Lord might bring to you. Yeah, um, absolutely. And very recently we had a funeral within one, uh, one of the camps uh, and a soldier was participating in it uh, and he read Psalm 23, as most funerals do. Yep. So afterwards, um, in the sergeant's mess of all places, um, whilst people were talking into their volivants and their sausage rolls, as you do, I noticed the same sergeant standing in the corner and I could see that he was having difficulty. He was troubled because he had lost his friend. 
So I, I went over to see him and, and I said, hello, Sergeant, how are you? And he goes, ah, it's, I can't believe he's gone, referring to the guy who had died. And I said, well, look, grief is a terrible thing. I says, but can I just commend you on how you read Psalm 23? Had you read it before? He says, well, I've heard it before. I says, well, look, can I ask you, do you know who the shepherd is that's referred to? And he says, well, not really. I said, do you mind if I, if I share something with you about the shepherd? He says, yeah, go ahead. So I took the opportunity to tell him about the, the good shepherd, tell him about the great shepherd, the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ, and, and how not only uh, is he there for us as we travel through this life, but he gives us hope for beyond the grave. And I seized that opportunity that day in the sergeant's mess, and I believe that it wasn't a, just a coincidence, but it was a God opportunity mm-hmm. uh, to be able to shed some light on what that young man had read f- from the, the, the pulpit in the Garson Church and again, he, he he never heard that it was Christ that was being mentioned in regards to Psalm 23. And so my, my prayer is that wherever that sergeant is this evening, that he, and as he's dealing with his grief, which is real, yeah. that he'll consider those those truths that yeah. he heard that day in the sergeant's face. And maybe read that psalm again and know that it's the Lord who restores our souls. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're recording this in the run-up to Remembrance Day here in in the United Kingdom when we remember the kind providence of God in delivering us from our enemies in past wars and the First and Second World War and for us here in Northern Ireland, deliverance from terrorism. And SASRA provide help for churches who want to appropriately remember and commemorate Remembrance Sunday. How does a church obtain copies of Sasra's materials? They also have a little booklet of devotional readings, and by the time this podcast goes out, that will probably have already started. But how do we generally get stuff for our churches that'll help us to be more focused on thanksgiving to God for, for past deliverance? Yeah, I think the best means of getting any material, because I would love to say, look, contact me and I'll go and visit you. But there's so many churches and so many demands. The best point of contact is our website, which is www.sazer.org.uk. And when you type that in, it'll throw up a wealth of information uh, and and give you signposts to a lot of things. And you actually mentioned there about remembrance. Uh, that is so true. Uh, we've brought out a devotional and it begins on the 23rd of October right through to the 13th. And I appreciate that once this is aired, maybe in the middle of that. Um, but if you contact the, the, the website or actually there's an email address you can actually email f- for more information and it's called Remembrance at sazer.org.uk. So that's remembrance as spelt straightforward at sazer.org.uk. You register interest, and even though it's in the middle, I dare say that we will certainly um, send you out th- those little devotional booklets. Mm. And uh, of course, we're also running during those 11 days uh, from the 1st to 11th of November what's called um, virtual prayer meetings from 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, where our Prayer coordinator Laura, who's doing a fantastic job, uh, she's encouraging people to tune in through Zoom, uh, and then you can you can be part of that little uh, structured prayer meeting. So again, you'll you'll find that all in our website, or else give me an email. My email is asr.somerville at sazra.org. 
asr.org.uk. So it's asr.somerville at Somerville spelt S-O-M-E-R-V-I-L-L-E. Okay. So there is help for churches and that's very much appreciated at this particular time of the year. What does the future hold for SASWA? Are there projects in the pipeline for the future? Yeah, we have a, a very, very busy headquarters team, a very, very busy communications team who are forever uh, planning and thinking ahead. For instance, this devotional that's coming out now, um, that started off life last December. So I dare say that once this is passed, um, that they'll start beginning to, to think of something new. 2016 was the 100th anniversary of the Battle, uh, the Battle of the Somme. We commemorated that. Uh, and then so every year now we're finding that there's things keep coming up. For instance, the, Falk, the 40th anniversary of the Falcons War came up. And so we were able to do something for that. So I dare say that uh, the brains over their headquarters uh, will certainly have things going. Uh, and of course, here in Northern Ireland, um, we're, we're always looking for opportunities to keep the Christian public up to speed of what's happening. And if you really want to know what is happening, again, you can sign up through the, the Souser website, of course, to receive information. And all of that helps with prayer, um, because really Sasra needs churches praying for the army scripture readers. As yeah, they ab- absolutely. Out of the barracks. It's not easy getting out, talking to young men and women who have no notion of God or yeah, they have. They have been brought up basically in pagan homes. A lot of them. It's not easy. You need prayer. Yeah, absolutely. If if you ask me, what is Sazra built upon? It's prayer, and yeah. I am so indebted to the Christian public for their practical giving, absolutely, uh, but to their prayerful support as well. I can recall this memory. I can remember standing outside the Nafe in Palisbergs one evening. It was dark, and I, I felt I'm not going to go in there because I can hear voices. At the end of the day, I'm only a man. I, yeah. My knees knock as much as anybody else's. Of course. And I thought, I'm just going to walk by. But something compelled me, no, you got to go in. So I thought, okay. So I stood outside those doors. I could hear the laughter. I could hear the uh, the, the, the voices. I could hear the screams. And I thought, right, okay, um, I'm going to have to go in here. And so I remember thinking, well, people have been promising to pray for me. They might know I'm here right now, but they've promised to pray for me generally. So with that sort of motivation and a quick prayer heaven where it was a case of just barging through that door to see what was on the other side. And of course, that's a, another story. So we, as I say, we, we grow in camp and we're going there knowing that there is behind us uh, a great support. I mean, did you know that an infantry soldier, for instance, for him to go to the front line, there's about seven or eight people supporting him. The quartermaster who clues him, the chef who feeds him, the paymaster who pays him, the sergeant major who loves him. Well, he may love him, <laughs> but he makes sure he's doing the right thing at the right time. And so if that's true for the British soldier, I mean, what about ministers? What about pastors? What about evangelists? What about scripture readers? Um, we need your support as well. Yeah. Uh, and so to, to know that you're there supporting us prayerfully, that that's a real, real encouragement. Well, Paul, it's really good to know that sergeant majors love their man <laughs> because I never knew that before. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you've got a full diary, Paul, but there will be churches who'll want to invite you, um, maybe people who'll be listening to this, and they would say, well, I'd like to have Paul Somerville come along to a group in our church or to the church meeting. Have you got slots in your diary that you could offer to churches? I've just bought a new diary for 2023. And if I could get a diary for 2024, I'd buy that as well. You know, if people drop me a line um, through that email address that I said, and also Uh 
even um, if you go to the website or even to email at admin at sadra.org.uk, that'll always come back to me. And I am more than happy and more than delighted to visit church fellowships, coffee mornings, mm-hmm. church Sunday services, or whatever it may be. Just You'll, you'll fix something then. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Because at the end of the day, it's one thing to go in to talk to men about God. But it's another thing to go and tell the Christian public what God is doing mm-hmm. um, with those behind the wire. Yeah, well, I mean, Sasra is a wonderful opportunity to serve, a, a tremendous evangelistic opportunity. And I would encourage anyone who's listening, if you've never had a Sasra meeting in your church, this is a really good time to get Paul to come and to speak at your church and to talk about the work of the Lord among the troops. So, Paul, thanks again for joining me for this special edition of the podcast. Let's hope that the listener has found it helpful. Indeed, and thank you for your time as well, Bob. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.